Oh, yes, it is another episode of Five Rounds here on the Five Reasons Sports Network. We are whole again. The great triumvirate is back together for this one after a very busy holiday weekend. I want to remind everybody, every episode of Five Rounds where we talk combat sports every Thursday night, except for last week, we did it on Wednesday because no one wanted to watch us talk on Thanksgiving Day. Normally on Thursdays, we are served by the Quarterdeck Seafood Bar and Neighborhood Grill. Oh my God, guys, this is my spot. I love the fresh seafood at the quarterdeck, the oysters and Maine lobster, the sushi. I build my own poke bowl. Probably 50% of the times that I go, I eat some of the fresh fish, the sushi, the poke bowls out there. Even if you're not a seafood fan, guys, they have delicious burgers, sandwiches, pasta dishes, amazing salads. The baby back ribs are legit. You need to check out the quarterdeck. And to top it all off, it's an awesome spot to watch every big game the big TVs covering every wall, the flat screens, the high def, the big screen outside on the patio. And it's a great place to watch every UFC pay-per-view fight. When there's a pay-per-view, you know you can get it at the quarter deck for zero cover charge. You pay nothing at the door. They have two-for-one happy hour all day, every day. The happy hour literally never ends. So if you want to peep their menu before you go or find the location nearest to you, you can check them out on the web at quarterdeckrestaurants.com. The quarter deck. Come for the food, stay for the fun. Very happy to have Frank Zaffrey back. We were lost without you, Frank. We couldn't even we couldn't even manage more than like sixty minutes without Frank here. Frank Zaffrey, welcome back. It's good to be back, and I didn't realize you had an abbreviated show, or maybe I would have tried to tough it out, but uh, it's good to be back. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you. We have a lot to get into, and of course, James Walker. James, how's your evening treating you so far? Uh, evening good so far. This afternoon I actually had a booster shot, so I was oh, a little, for you, little concerned I'd be a little lightheaded or something for the show, but not feeling anything right now. So a little arm soreness, but I'm good to go. You're like me. When I I've, when I had the, uh, the, the two doses, I didn't have any side effects whatsoever. So J- J- James Walker is more like me today. Uh, hello to uh, anyone who can join us in the chat. How about this? Miami Trev, uh, happy holidays, Kings. Thank you so much, man. And it is... It is the holiday season. People are putting up their decorations. I'm a procrastinator. Haven't put up the tree yet. Haven't put up the lights yet. That's going to be done on like Christmas Eve, and I'll have them up for 24 hours. We'll move on to other things. But, gentlemen, I wanted to start off today's show, and we put it in the title for this episode because I think this is compelling. Now, we all suspected something like this was said, but we go back to the, the most recent edition of the Colby Covington versus Kamaru Usman series where Usman beats Colby again a few weeks back and they had a little bromance and an exchange. There were whispers exchange and even Dan Mergliata, the referee broke it up. He's like, guys, enough with the love fest, right? And we were all kind of speculating and wondering what exactly did Colby say to Kamaru when they embraced and courtesy of UFC Europe, They tweeted out the video where you can actually clearly now this time hear what was said. So this is the quote from Colby Covington. Uh, Colby says to Kamaru, you know, I'm just trying to sell it for you, he said. And then Usman responded, what? He responded, then Colby, you know, I'm just trying to sell it for you. I know, I know, said Usman. And then Colby said, it's all love. And then he continued, I've always had love for you. I'm just trying to make you money, he said. And that was the last thing that was said before. Dan Mergliata broke them up. And this really, this takes people behind the curtain, okay? Now, I'm not saying that there's never been an instance where you have legitimate beef and hatred between fighters. I know I know that it's happened before. 
right? You know, uh, Liddell and Ortiz, uh, Matt, Sarah, Matt Hughes. Like, there have been plenty of instances of legitimate hatred and beef between fighters. But a lot of times, and this has been going on, you know, forever, for like a century, going back to the early days of boxing, you're going to have guys manufacture beef, troll a little bit, trash talk, go a little, go the extra mile, even if they're not being sincere, to sell a fight. In, in, in the case of Colby Covington, I think it goes a lot deeper than selling a fight. I think that this character that he's created over the past four or five years where, you know, he's become the MAGA guy with the hat and he trash talks everybody and he gets people all, all the snowflakes get upset. Like, I, I do believe that that's a manufactured thing from Colby and it's kept him relevant, right, for a number of years. So my question, and, and Frank, I'll start with you on this one. And, and you and I, we, we know Colby a little bit, although he's too big time to answer our calls these days, we're pretty familiar with what Colby Covington has been doing in the public eye in recent years. Does it bug you when you take, when you get taken behind the curtain and like you realize maybe these guys don't hate each other the way that we thought they did. And maybe the guy that was viciously verbally attacking the other guy didn't really mean it. And they're just trying to make money. Does that bother you? Cause I find some fans at least claim they would prefer for these fighters to be authentic at all times. Well, it's kind of a difficult question to answer. Generally, no, it doesn't bother me. Because, like, if you're reasonably intelligent, how would Colby and Camaro ever have beef? They don't know each other. They Really, they don't hang around. They don't train at the same gym. They don't – I mean, it's just – Colby's just angry at whoever has the belt and angry that anyone would pretend that he shouldn't have the belt. And it's part of his, his as you say, his, uh, his shtick or his uh, marketing machine – to create that uh, that aggressive, you know, uh, um, antagonistic personality, but you know, it doesn't bother me. And and, and it, Alex, as long as you and I have been doing shows together, and when we had a closer relationship with Colby, we talked about it. I brought it up all the time. I remember bringing Colby down to the studio uh, to do a show with us, and I told him, "I'm going to tell people you're a nice guy. I mean, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I mean, you can keep doing what you want to do, and I get why it makes money, but he's just a really nice person. And yeah. it, what he meant by telling Camaro that wasn't, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I you know, I have this deep-seated love for you. It just means he respects him. Of course he does. I mean, I think they, I think they all have a lot of respect for each other. But, you know, to answer the other side of it, there have been moments uh, watching fights over the years where, two people uh, clearly uh, have a reason to dislike each other. And that, you know, things have been said that just, you can't walk back. John Jones, uh, Rashad know. Evans is another yeah, one. Right, yeah. So when I see those kinds of combatants hug at the end, I get pissed off. Like don't, ah. because then I feel like they're trying to be politically correct. Then I feel yeah. like they're trying to be like, all right, this is the way we're supposed to behave. If you hated the guy, when you stepped in there, it's okay to hate him when you walk out. You know, so so that's kind of my two two pronged answer there. Yeah, and I, I have two interesting thoughts about this, and I, I may be veering off on a couple of things, but my first thought is I blame the UFC. I mean, they they created this monster that is Kobe Covington. They almost cut him. They told him he was a boring fighter, even though he was winning time and time out. You know, time out. They weren't paying him much money, and they they basically insinuated that look, you know, if you want to stay in the UFC, it's not all about winning. You have to be more interesting, sell more fights. Now, Kobe's to Kobe's blame, he took this thing way further than he needed to do. I mean, he's almost living this uh, sort of, you know, double character um, that, that you know, that he's presenting. And I think the wool has kind of been pulled already that most people know that, you know, you can't 
be that kind of guy all the time. That it's a bit of an act that what Kobe Kobe is doing. But that's my first thought. That I blame the UFC first and foremost, and then Kobe second for kind of taking it too far. What the UFC was kind of pushing him to do. Um, the, the second thought that I have is with Kamaru Usman, I'm not offended by it. You know, like like uh, Frank said, th- there's no connection there. Um, you know, they didn't know each other before. They're just chasing the same goal. There was some trash talk. But what happens when he crosses Jorge Masvidal, you know, where they do have a history together? And Great Kobe, one. Great and one. Kobe's yeah. doing this, you know, doing the Kobe Covington act. And Jorge Masvidal isn't the type of guy that you want to play with. He's not going to play nice back. You know, he's not going to be respectful back. He's going to assume that this is legit. Um, even a Dustin Poirier, you know, a guy where they have history, not that they're going to fight, mm-hmm. but what if they run into each other? Um, you know, and, 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 you know, they have history. They trained in the same gym. Uh, Kobe's talked about, you know, his kids being a prop and, and his wife yeah. and just things that you, you know, needlessly, there's no reason for him to do that. So, you know, th- that's where I think, you know, I'm, I'm more concerned about the whole thing, especially if it's an act that why is he taking it this, this far? Um, you know, when I think there's legitimately, you know, uh, situations that could be personal on the other side. James's James's example of Masvidal and Covington, perfect, right? That's mm-hmm. when I'll get pissed. If they hug after the fight, <laughs> I'll be pissed off. But I, th- I agree with you, James. They're not hugging after the fight. Yeah, and like for me, um, and maybe this is because back in the day, I used to be a big pro wrestling fan. I'd be lying if I said I've watched it regularly in the past 20 years i was a big fan during like the monday night wars era so i like i used to be a big appreciator of pro wrestling like i I don't even like even if i know that some of these beefs in mma are either manufactured or exaggerated it doesn't really bother me because at the end of the day i'm still entertained like i'm still i get entertained by the shoving matches and press conferences i get entertained because some of the trash talkers we've had in this sport like we've been blessed with some really entertaining folks. I mean, Chael Sonnen, when, and, and he still does a great job like as an analyst breaking things down. He's got that personality. But when he used to pick those arguments with Anderson Silva, it was incredibly entertaining. I think a lot of people in the early days of the Chael trash talk couldn't really figure out if he was trolling or being legit. And honestly, the birth of the Chael Sonnen character about a decade ago, a little more than a decade ago, it was born under similar circumstances to Colby Covington. I mean, Frank, you told the story that early in Colby's UFC career, the guy was about as interesting as a brick wall, like just was wrestling, was winning fights, kind of ugly, not really saying anything, didn't have any personality. And I know deep down inside he had personality, just wasn't showing it to the world. And so he realized his job was in jeopardy because in prize fighting, 60% of success is selling yourself. And then maybe, I mean, I might be a little off on that percentage, okay? But it's it's closer to 50-50 than people think. Actual success in the cage or in the ring, uh, but the success in selling yourself in that sport, an individually driven sport, is almost equally as responsible for success than going out there and winning fights. And so it was a similar thing for Chael Sonnen. Before Chael Sonnen fought Anderson Silva, uh, you know, back in like 2010, we didn't really know how much of a personality the guy had. He started trash talking. He started trolling and it made him an instant celebrity. All right. So and and just to take people behind the curtain even more on Colby Covington, and he probably wouldn't be happy that we're telling some of these stories, but it, it is what it is. Um, I can remember, Frank, an event we were both at. You know, I don't know, four or five years ago when the UFC had that event at the the BB&T Center, now FLA Live Arena, the Panthers Arena. And we got to spend a little a little time there with Colby and outside the arena after the event, 
we both took a picture with him, right? And before I took the picture with him, he had with him this backpack where he was not a UFC champion, yet he had a UFC title belt, right, that he was trolling, right? Because he wasn't the champ, but he'd wear the belt around everywhere just to get under people's skin. And he also, like, he had the MAGA hat, right? And I remember before I took a photo with Colby, he kind of smirked and he said, hold on, do you want me to, to put on all the gimmicks or not? I'm like, yeah, put on all the gimmicks. So he puts the belt around his shoulder. He puts on the MAGA hat. He was chuckling about it. So he's the, the persona that he created, it's, it's a very calculated one. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, it, and, and I'm sure for some people, it's just a matter of preference. For other people, it's a cultural thing where they just do not like, you know, the over-the-top trash talk. Like, I remember, um, you remember when, uh, you know, going back to when Conor McGregor was building his feud with Jose Aldo, who, by the way, is fighting this weekend. We'll talk about that. But when Conor McGregor had this big feud with Aldo before McGregor ultimately took the belt from him, um, it, like, it became like a Brazil versus McGregor thing. And I, you know, I was calling a lot of fights back then, and I would talk to a lot of these Brazilian MMA fighters. Like, I'd ask them, like, hey, what do you think about Conor McGregor? He keeps calling out your guy Aldo. And to the man, they were all like, this guy has no respect. Terrible the way he conducts. And they were, like, dead serious. Like, I do not respect the way he promotes himself. This is not good for sports. You should just be professional at all times. This is terrible. Um, I, I think I'm just cut from a different cloth, man. I appreciate the entertainment aspect of it. I know the actual fights are real, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. When the octagon door closes, assuming these guys aren't all engaging in max fi fixing, and I don't think that's happening, as long as I know the fights themselves are real, I'm okay if they lay it on really thick before the fights because it gives us more to talk about. It helps media people do their jobs. It gives me interesting stuff to read. You know, when I go to MMAfighting.com and MMAjunkie.com before an event, I like seeing these quotes. I like watching these videos. I mean, James, at the end of it, uh, like I, I know that not everything is authentic, but I don't have a problem with it. And this is this is embedded in the DNA of combat sports. Yeah, and, and something I want to uh, elaborate on with your point with, with Connor. I, I don't know if it's fair to compare Connor's trash talk and Kobe's trash talk. And, and the reason why I say that is I think Connor believes most of what he's saying. I, I think he legitimately disliked Khabib. Now, mm. some of his stuff does go over the line, you know, just like some of stuff, Kobe's stuff goes over the line. But I think Kobe's doing it more for entertainment and pay per view buys. I think Connor legitimately has distaste for the Khabibs of the world, the Dustin Poirier's of the world, the second time. Um, and, and I guess he trash talking got in his head the, the first, I'm sorry, the third time. I always forget that they, that trilogy now. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's a bit of a difference uh, with, with, with Connor that, that his trash talk comes off as, as definitely more authentic. And I do think he believes most of what he says. I, I don't think he's just blowing smoke kind of like Kobe does at the time. Do you, do you guys remember when uh, Dennis Rodman got uh, sent to the Bulls? And, you know, was able to integrate with a team he had professionally tortured for years as a yeah. Piston. You, you've all, we've all seen NFL games, playoff games, where they've gone through unbelievable violence and pain to fight their way to a point in their season and lose and hug at the end. These are fraternities of elite people in certain types of sports. And really, no matter how much they dislike their opponent, the only other people that they could truly relate to in the world are the people on the other side of the line or on the other side of the cage from them. They're the ones for whom they have the most brotherhood, the most connectivity. 
So it shouldn't surprise anyone that they can find a way to embrace. Mm. I mean, in, in the MMA, I mean, you're talking about very special people that can do that for a living. And, you know, these are their friends. These are their brothers. This is the fraternity that they're in. So, you know, I, I, I would ask you guys, though, because despite what I just said, real beefs do exist. But oh, which yeah. ones have been real? Like, I, I just jump right in. Jones Cormier, yeah, real. Yeah. yeah, I would say that one's real. Well, and Jones um, has been involved in a couple of those because I think Jones, yeah. Rashad Evans was real as well because they had, it was like a Shakespearean story of like, you know, best friends who became enemies because Evans thought Jones betrayed him. And I thought that was, that was very, that was very real drama. And I think, you know, back in the day, I think uh, Matt Sarah and Matt Hughes legitimately hated each other chuck liddell and tito ortiz because that was another one i mean they they used to be managed by dana white that was before dana white became the ufc president and they were Mm -hmm. friends they had a big time falling out so i i think i think there there's there's certainly been been a handful where it was completely it was completely legit and they didn't even really have to lay it on very thick i'm sorry james are the diaz beefs ever real because I'm just wondering if they just are just you know difficult people in general, you know. But I, I lean to that, and I can never, I can never, and I'm the biggest Nick and Nate Diaz fan in the world. I can never pinpoint if they're the smartest people in the room or the dumbest people in the room. Like <laughs> Let I me honestly, help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, no, I mean I, I think that I think that the Diaz brothers are the types of guys that take. They take everything literally, right? If you if you trash talk them, they don't even care if you're joking or not. They're gonna take it as as disrespect and they're going to they're gonna personalize it and they're gonna use it as bulletin board material to perform. So uh you know, I I can't speak for both sides of it. Like if a Diaz brother is feuding with somebody, like I, I can't necessarily say how the other person in the feud is taking it. But for the Diaz brother, I'm sure it's all completely legitimate. I think everything about those guys is authentic yeah and i I have a question i just kind of want to pose i'm kind of posing with myself like am i more likely as as a hardcore mma you know follower fan am i more likely to buy a fight uh, or not buy a fight based on the trash stuff like i'm gonna get poirier and Oliveira, even though they're not gonna say one bad word about each other just like i got the covington uzman you know fight to where they said a thousand things um, about each other i I don't know if it matters that much to me um i'm more compared the skill set but maybe we're in that different category of fan that, that Kobe's talking about. Maybe Kobe's talking about the casual who wants to see the spectacle and things like that. But I'm just curious how you guys feel about that. I'm, I'm um, with you. Um, yeah. that like, and, and it's honestly the, the fights that I do order vastly outnumber the ones I don't order to begin with. So I, I am like a dream customer. Like the UFC knows, unless they're really putting on a shit pay-per-view, they're probably going to get my money. Like, I think they understand that by now. But no, I mean, I think for me, and I think you guys probably feel the same, uh, the first thing that I look for is how great are these fights going to be, right? And and not even just the main event, because obviously any big-time UFC fan, we're looking at a five-fight main card as well. And that's something, you know, they're, they're, not as, they're not as thick as they used to be because the UFC stretches themselves kind of thin now with all the free shows. But for the most part, they are selling a five-fight event, you know, just the pay-per-view portion of it and not just one main event, unless the main event is so strong. But I, I look at how great are these fighters? How, how high are the stakes, right? How important is this? And then I'm not going to decide to buy a fight or not based on the feud. But 
I think that you were right to say, James, that you and you and I and Frank, we're just in a in a different class. And I'm not saying it's a higher class or a lower, just a different class because you know, a lot of people out there will make their choices about buying a UFC fight the way that I'll make my choices about buying a boxing pay-per-view. I don't buy nearly as many boxing pay-per-views as I do MMA pay-per-views. So if I'm gonna buy a boxing pay-per-view. Yeah, if the two guys hate their hate each other's guts, that probably helps, right? I mean, that's that's probably going to contribute to it. I know that there are a lot of people out there who may not even necessarily know there's a UFC pay-per-view coming up this weekend unless they see one of the guys talking on TMZ, right? And it's usually those are usually fights involving somebody like a Conor McGregor or a John Jones. They'll see them on TMZ, they'll see them do, you know, an interview on ESPN. They'll say, "Okay, there's drama here. I feel like buying this," right? I think that's the criteria a lot of people use. And to build to this whole trash talk argument, uh, those people are the most important ones for business, right? It's the people who are on the fence, like people like the three of us, most likely we're going to buy a fight almost no matter what. Maybe there are a few exceptions, but we're going to buy just about any UFC pay-per-view, but they are trying to get the business. Like the difference between selling 200,000 pay-per-views or 2 million pay-per-views. It's getting those people who aren't normally buying. It's getting those people that need there to be a hook and that need there to be some extra drama before they drop 70 bucks for a fight. Yeah. And, and to build off of that, you know, in marketing and retail, you know, there are rules about how many touches someone needs before they're going to become engaged with a product, before they're going to click the button to order something or go to the store and buy it. And so, you know, the, the trash talking just increases the touches through yeah. the course of the weeks leading up to a fight. I mean, it's all it is, as you point out, I mean, TMZ or whatever, it's going to pop up on your news feeds and different things you read, and you're going to see it more. Poirier Oliveira is going to sneak up on people. You know, because they're not saying anything. And yeah. except for UFC marketing and some ESPN banner ads during college football and whatnot, you, you, you wouldn't know about it. So that's why I think Colby's antics and others makes the fighters so much more money. Well, guys, why don't we get into uh, a new episode of the toss up? This is something. And last week we canceled the toss up because we didn't know we didn't know what to do without uh, without Frank Zaffrey. You canceled the toss up? Because I wasn't the there to read up. it? Wow. Yes, we canceled the toss up. I'm so flattered. <laughs> All right, uh, well, I'll start off with a good question. You ready? Yeah. Who should Misha Tate fight next? <laughs> and this is this is actually, this makes a lot of sense based on what we were just talking about. Uh, and now last week when we were missing Frank, James and I talked about her loss uh, to Ketlin Vieira, which was a really close fight, a really good fight. I agreed with the decision. I think James didn't so much, but the result is the same. She lost that fight, so she's not springboarding into a title shot. <laughs> Honestly, I for, for the reasons we just talked about, for drama selling fights, I would book Misha Tate versus Aspen Ladd. There's mm. a hook there, and Aspen was talking about that this week. Misha Tate was talking shit about her boyfriend. You know, her boyfriend who coaches her, corners her, uh, you know, people were criticizing that video the last time Lad fought, and she's coming off a loss now as well because, oh, her. I thought there was a lot of sexism with the way people covered the story because if he had been cornering a man, nobody yes. would have complained about him. He used a stern tone when talking to his fighter. I thought people only complained about it because he was coaching a woman. Misha Tate was leading the charge talking a lot of crap about Aspen Lad's coach slash boyfriend, and I know Aspen took it personally – I'd say book the two of them. I think that could be a good fight. And, uh, and you know, it would make sense, I think, for both fighters coming off losses and the drama they have. Alex, your answer is way better than mine because I, I really couldn't find a good answer uh, for this. I, you know, 
because of the loss, had she won, I thought there were bit, would have been better possibilities. But Holly Holm was a name that came to mind um, just because of the rematch. I'm thinking of all the people that she might have beaten along the way that may want a rematch with her uh, now that she's back. So that, that came to mind. But I don't know if that makes a lot of sense for Holly Holm. She's, you know, she's higher ranked um, and Tate's coming off a loss now. But I think Ladd is actually a better pick. This whole thing with Misha Tate starting to bother me, right? She came back and fought a 90-year-old woman. Uh, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. Uh, she won the fight. And it should have been a one-off. Look, I came back. I did it. I got a win. And now right. I'm, I'm, I'm off. Instead, she delusionally thinks she could chase the title. Um, and it's really bothersome. She, she drops a fight now. And where does she go next? Is she really going to stay in the mix just kind of like as a gatekeeper? I mean, that seems like a horrible way to end what is otherwise a really impressive career. So... I'd rather see her step away and her next fight be uh, in uh, the wrestling league, whatever wrestling league Ronda Rousey's in, and they ah. should just do a complete spoof, hitting each other with chairs, the rest of it, and just rekindle that uh, that fierce competition in a, in a more staged environment. I'd like to see that. James, you would know be better than us. Did, did Rousey, she doesn't wrestle anymore. I know she just had a kid, oh. but even but even, uh. even before even before she had the baby, she stopped, right? Yeah, she did about a year, year and a half in WWE, won the title, was actually pretty impressive because of her, you know, I mean, judo and wrestling, and there's very similar movements. So she had, you know, some impressive matches and everything. Um, and then, yeah, she just, I think she just got kind of got tired of it and stepped away. Then she had a kid, never came back. So I, I don't even know if that's really on her on the radar. Right. Well, that was a really, that was a really stupid answer by me then. All right. Well, no, uh, I, I, was, I was, yeah, I was, I was wondering, but yeah, move, move on to the next one. All right. According to his coach, Charles Oliveira could be interested in fighting Conor McGregor at 170 pounds. Is this something you'd be interested in? Um, I'm going to say under the conditions, no, because uh, it, his coach uh, implied uh, Diego Lima that this fight would happen if, Oliveira beats Poirier, then they want to do this super fight. I would actually prefer to do this if Oliveira loses to Poirier because if Oliveira wins, he retains the belt. I want to keep the lightweight division moving. This is the deepest division in the UFC. Like you're going to have worthy contenders popping up fight after fight after fight. I don't want to put my lightweight champion on ice, move him up way too heavy to 170. Charles Oliveira is a former 145ers fighting at 155. 170 isn't really good for him. 170 is not really good for Connor either, to be honest. I mean, he he should probably be fighting at 145, but he's too rich now to ever cut that kind of weight again. He cannot be bothered to cut down to 145. So, no, I mean, I, I'd honestly, I'd be more interested in making this fight if Poirier beats Oliveira. Uh, and then, because because I, I think stylistically, McGregor versus Oliveira could be a really fun fight. Like, they're going to throw some crazy strikes if Oliveira can get him to the ground would uh would have some high octane grappling and could probably tap out McGregor if McGregor doesn't knock him out on the feet. Either guy could knock each other out. So I like the fight stylistically, but if Oliveira beats Poirier, defends the lightweight belt, keep defending the belt. I'm not interested in that. What do you think, James? Yeah, I'm I'm completely baffled by I, this idea. I mean, would this be under Connor's request at 170? Like why why 170? I you know I don't I don't understand that. Um, so yeah, no, no, no interest in that at that weight. Uh, I, I'm not even that interested in Connor getting a title shot right off the bat no. against Oliveira next at 155. Although as, as Alex mentioned, it is an interesting style matchup, but it wouldn't be deserved. Um, so I don't want to see those two in the octagon in 2022. Connor has enough fights lined up enough of, I think a road he needs to pave, even though he thinks he's going straight to the title shot. You know, I, I, I could see him against, you know, 
Diaz, Poirier, uh, Chandler, you know, a lot of different guys not named Oliveira at this point, especially if he's the champion. Connor shouldn't step in. Uh, but yeah, the whole 170 thing, I, I don't get it. I don't even know why that was mentioned at 170. I, guys, uh, Alex, uh, Lima said that his coach said that, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's a smart guy. Let me, let me tell you something. Charles Oliveira, if he can figure out a way to get past Poirier, okay, if he can do that, um, the shark tank he's in, they know this run's not going to last very long. Okay, that's yeah. number one. Number two is nobody on planet Earth wants to see him fight Conor McGregor in any circumstance except <laughs> yeah. him holding the belt. Yeah, so, that's true. okay, now I want Conor to be my next opponent. Connor's the easiest out available. And by the way, let's put it at 170 so there's no belt on the line. This is just a this is just a fun fight up here, and I don't have to cut weight. So it's basically cashing in, mm -hmm. out of weight class, belt protected, and extending his cash revenue for as long as he can before one of the other killers in that division takes him out. So I think Lima's a genius. I don't think the fight will happen, but I think he's really smart. That's a great point. It's like one of those things where in him talking about it, it makes it seem like that's something the UFC wants to do. When <laughs> like, like Dana White is probably thinking like, wait, who, who brought that up? <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? <laughs> so no, wow. I think that's a great point by you because obviously his his head coach is taking a percentage of his fight purse. That percentage right. goes way up when you fight Conor <laughs> right. McGregor. So no, that's a really good point. What else we got? Uh, where do you rank Jose Aldo among the top pound for pound fighters of all time? Oh, that's so you know very very high. And I I think the fact that he's kept fighting so long beyond like his peak prime and he's he's still i think his last two victories have shown he is still in his prime whether people accept it or not jose aldo is still an excellent fighter and he could very well win this weekend uh but i i think the fact that he's like far removed from his championship peak kind of like a frankie edgar it's like people maybe forget how good and how relevant jose aldo was i put him right near the top guys i mean you have people like george st pierre um john jones anderson silva you know a guy who's active uh, i think very highly of kamara usman i put him in that conversation as well jose aldo is right in that mix in fact i would put him higher than someone like bj penn who's very legendary but to me jose aldo has had a, a better overall body of work than BJ, uh, better overall body of work than a guy like, you know, Randy Couture, who was very respected back in the day, oh, yeah. you know? So no, honestly, like I, Jose Aldo to me, uh, top five, right. Is that fair mm. to say? And, and, and I don't want to forget about Fedor either. Uh, you know, my guy, <laughs> Nick, Nick and Nate Diaz. So top, top 10 at the very worst, Jose Aldo, like he, he has to be in that conversation somewhere, somewhere between five and 10 top all-time pound-for-pound fighters. I hope that people who maybe just started watching the sport a couple of years ago understand this is one of the most dominant champions of all time. I mean, in his peak at featherweight, when he was the featherweight champion, he would make people look bad in there. No matter how good the contender, he would make people look bad in that octagon. Yeah, man, it's a little lower for me. I think he's hovering around 10. I'm not guaranteeing he's in five, definitely not five. Uh, you know, he's hovering around nine to 11. I should have wrote this down as a better mm -hmm. ex exercise uh, for me. Now, now keep in mind, we're considering pound for pound, right? Mm -hmm. it, that was the question, pound for pound. All this time. isn't like yeah. all time. Oh, yeah. 
you know, all-time great, uh, you know, list. Is, is another one, the Demetrius Johnson is another guy that I failed. Yeah, to He's yeah. Henry Cejudo is why I, I even yeah. forget about the 125ers sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, so, yeah, I mean, Aldo was was awesome, you know, during his prime. He's still relevant, still, um, you know, still fighting pretty well. Um, you know, with him, him gassing out every now and then late in the fights still is a question for me because, you know, I always look at the dominant champions – uh, the all-time greats, the John Joneses, uh, the GSPs, those are the guys that that fight round five at the same quality that they fight round one. And, and Aldo just wasn't the, one of those guys. Even in three-round fights, he, he kind of got tired in some, but he fought a lot of championship fights with rounds four and five. He may have dominated the first three or four rounds, but kind of gassed out at the end. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's the only kink in his armor. I, I would say yeah, I would probably say nine to eleven, but I'd have to write it down on paper. Really well, well, let me uh, and and Frank, you can weigh in on this as well. So, um, I, I just uh, God bless the internet. So here here is a a list via Google search of uh, fighters considered top pound for pound UFC fighters of all time, and it's a big list here. So we, you can you can kind of go through who who you believe is is higher all time than Jose Aldo. On the list, John Jones, I agree, yeah. higher. Uh, higher. Anderson Silva, I agree, higher. Maybe higher. not as as much higher as some people think, but higher. Khabib Nurmagomedov, oh, you know, no, probably higher. higher. Yeah, I mean, ne never lost. Matt Hughes, uh, I think that one's debatable. I, I I think I'd probably put Aldo a little higher than Matt Hughes. He's Khabib, more of a modern era fighter. That's why. That's true. So that's so that's where yeah. But but uh, I I think a more a more dominant resume though. Um, Although Hughes in his prime was was completely he was a pioneer because nobody could figure out how to wrestle with that guy back then. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, who I mentioned, higher. I think that one's higher. debatable, probably higher. Randy Couture, I put Aldo higher. Conor McGregor, I put Aldo higher. Uh, even though I, I know who McGregor Conor, beat him. Who put Conor McGregor on a list? Greatest all time. From okay. sources across the web, they say. Um, Daniel Cormier, I think I'd put Aldo higher. Um, yes. Max Holloway. Aldo higher, higher. Uh, George St. Pierre, I'd put GSP higher. I don't know wait, why. Wait, quick, him. quick point here. Doesn't Holloway have two wins over Aldo head to head? Yeah, but end. again, that was uh, you know, it, it, yeah, prime the, the, one, the, one, the, 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 the tail end of an era, the tail end of an era though. Yeah. Um, Chuck Liddell, I would put Aldo higher. Kane Velasquez, I put Aldo higher. I think Kane could have been higher if he, you know, his career wasn't derailed by injuries the way that it was. And yeah, the the rest of the well, oh, oh, how about well, this one? How about this one? Amanda Nunes. Yes, that's oh, I had yeah. her on my list above. Mm. Yeah, I'm thinking like dominant champions, like dominant champions who really fought murderers in the, in, the, in their mm -hmm. respective divisions. Yeah, you know that's why Chuck Liddell can't be there. I mean, he he fought some stiffs. Yeah. Even you know even later in his title run, he fought some stiffs. So definitely got John Jones above, right? Anderson Silva, George St. Pierre, those three, no doubt. Got to have Amanda Nunes. You gotta have Khabib. You gotta have. I think BJ Penn above him because I think BJ. See, I don't. Penn, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, well, we could argue that uh, Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. So man, I got Aldo around eight. But he was a. He's one of those guys. Like he was always just like. You, they kept reprinting the posters of the champs. You mm -hmm. know, Aldo's always there, right? <laughs> always. He's just a, one always. of those guys that just wouldn't go away, like Silva and GSP. That's yeah, why I think he belongs in the top ten. All right. Anybody have but, any parting? You know, but 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 I, I got to jump to James's point though. It is a funny thing to say because I think Max Holloway is the best fe uh, featherweight we've ever seen. 
I know, you know? but so, it's, yeah. So yeah. it's a funny thing what we're doing there, what I'm I doing. But I, I, you know, so I stand by my contradictory statement. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Yeah. Connor, sure, beat him. Connor beat him two in 13 seconds, but we're not putting Connor. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish that fight a bit. Maybe the greatest disrespectful thing I've ever seen done to somebody that I think we could all probably eventually agree should be in the top 10 all time pound for pound. If yeah. this guy doesn't lose for what seems like forever. Oh yeah. Loses in a flash knockout and an immediate rematch is not issued. Thank you. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, what the hell? And just because it was 145 pounds, nobody cared because the yeah. casual fan outrage wasn't there. They just wanted to see where this meteoric Irish, you know, thing was going to go. And that's part but of I, it too, because unfortunately very few people cared about Aldo because McGregor right. was, he was just a meteor, right? Yeah. Yeah. But you I mean, one, uh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I got one more. Uh, it's December second, right? It is yeah, December second. Yeah. Uh, have you started Christmas shopping yet? I mean, you know, twenty three days left, guys. And and I I will I will wait the necessary twenty three days between now and Christmas. <laughs> I you know I've I've got a lot of presents to buy. You know I, I'm gonna look at whatever like you know on, on on Amazon they'll tell you like the last possible day you can order something so that it will ship before the twenty fifth. I'm going to be keeping my eye on that and I'm going to wait till the last possible day. And I'm also going to be that guy because some of the gifts I buy are inspired. Like I have to be at a shopping mall because like it's it's harder just to browse online. I was going to ask you, are you online or, or in person? You're Both. in a mall? Yeah, but probably about 80% online. But if I'm buying for like someone where I'm not really sure what they might want, I'm let me just window shop a little bit, see what jumps out at me. I'll probably be doing that around like the 22nd. So I'm I'm going to I'm going to run out the clock. I'm going to wait till the last minute. Well, what about you, James? Yeah, we're we're planners, so we've already we're probably 50% done. I, I pegged you as that kind <laughs> of guy. Yeah, I pegged you as that. So did yeah. I. Yeah, what you, you get me, James? <laughs> to be determined <laughs> you're on the other 50 percent. we, we haven't right. finished uh, of course, of course. <laughs> i just want alex to get me all the bets he lost i just want him to finally pay up i just want pasta dinner <laughs> gift yeah pasta well, dinner I've, down yeah there i've given Miami. i've given my gift you see that the new hotel that they just built in las vegas that's that's courtesy of me <laughs> yeah it, we're, we're primarily online too like you, you know yeah. my, my wife might go to a store or two but you know we're, we're primarily online we do it as easy as possible i don't know if this is i don't know if everyone has this problem but i i'm terrified of going to big malls because when i go I, no matter how much i think about it when i park the car and i approach this pentagon sized building <laughs> once i step in i know i'm hopelessly lost i will never find the door i entered Again, I could walk around the mall for, for, for the rest of the day. I'll never find it. I always exit at the furthest point away and then just walk aimlessly through acres of parking lot trying to find my car. So do you guys have that problem? That, that, that online shopping has been yeah. the greatest thing possible for me just because of my inability to navigate malls. No, I, I have that problem, uh, but I, I obsessively deal with it by when I when I walk into a mall, I will yeah. send myself a text message or I'll write it in like the Apple note thing on the phone, like exactly the entrance. Like if I walk into whatever it is, a Macy's or if I walk in by the food court, I will send myself a detailed message of like what like am I in the men's clothing section? Am I in am I in women's shoes when I walk in? You know, did I walk in next to the Sparrow? Like I will write down exactly what door 
I walked in by because I have a terrible wow. sense of direction. And where this used to get me was when I started <laughs> working in media and reporting on games, I would go to, you know, Hurricanes games, Dolphins games at what is now called Hard Rock Stadium. And, you know, no matter what part you're in, it all looks the same. If you don't oh. write down, like, am I by gate H? Am I, you know, what row am I in? And if I, I wouldn't be writing that stuff down, I'd walk around the entire stadium to look for my car. So then I developed this OCD habit of if I park at a shopping mall, a big thing, like when I go to Disney World and I park, I have to, you know, write down exactly the name, the number and the name of the row that I'm in. So I do that. Is, is Apple Maps good enough now to navigate you through a mall? James, do you know the answer to that? Like, if I'm at the Apple store, can I say, take me to Dillard's, and it'll just... No, Google, no Google Maps, Apple Maps doesn't doesn't do no. that. I, I think okay. I think the old school Alex way is probably the best way. Just yeah. write a note in your phone. Say, hey, I entered through Macy's, you know, what section or the food court. Or you could just park in the same spot every time and uh, say, okay, I'm going to park next to the food court. You know, no matter what mall you go to, I'm going to park next to the food court. So you always know the final. Food yeah, but court. that doesn't work this time of year, though, because the, the parking lots are right. so slammed this time. Like yeah. if I just like on a random Tuesday night in September, maybe. But December, no chance. <laughs> Stay out of the malls. That's basically the best oh, answer. Man. All right. So let, let, let's bring in uh, our featured guest of the day. This man is the lead MMA reporter here at five reasonsports.com. It's been too long since we've seen your beautiful face, sir. At three piece combo on Twitter, Jonathan Ramlakan is with us. How you doing, Jonathan? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Uh, like you said, it's been a little bit too long before I seen all your beautiful faces. Uh, I see, I saw you guys at PFL, so it was lovely getting to meet a couple yeah. of you guys down there. Um, but we got a lot of fights this weekend, uh, MMA, boxing. So, man, let's get it rolling. Well, here's something I, I want to get rolling. I, I like your take on something we were talking about a few minutes before we brought you on, and not not about the uh, the mall food court stuff, but no, on uh, where do you see Jose Aldo's place, top pound for pound all time? Because I, I said I see him probably somewhere between like number six to number ten. Like I in the conversation, I think maybe slightly below. The John Joneses, the Anderson Silvas of the world, maybe Khabib, you could put him certainly very high on the list. So I, I, I've got Aldo in that conversation. Like to me, I think undisputed, definitely top ten all time. Then the question would be, how high in the top ten do I go? Yeah, um, unquestioned top ten all time. Uh, his title defenses, uh, I don't know exactly how many, but I know he's had a ton between WEC and uh, the UFC as well. I think you gotta you gotta rank Max a little bit higher. I think if he goes out there and gets it done, uh, I you know, it's tough to argue just because of the way he's fought lately and and his reign as well, right? He's had an awesome reign. The way he showed up against Aldo, although that was a little bit later in Aldo's career, uh, I think he's probably the second greatest featherweight of all time at this point. Um, to your point, right? You gotta have. Uh, GSP up there then you have to have John Jones and then you have Khabib not not any order specifically but those three like you said Anderson Silva is up there as well Nick and Nate Diaz yeah exactly right so that's (laughs) five and six right there Um, but yeah so you know with that four Max Holloway um, yeah you probably put him right around there right like you said around six I think that's a good spot for him there's a couple of guys that are working their way up to there. I mean, Adesanya still has a way to go, but he's been dominant at 185. You can put him up there as well. We still don't know how long Francis is going to go, right? But Francis, you gotta, look at uh, look even look at the whole heavyweight division, right? Do you how far do you put Stipe up there, having the most title defenses in heavyweight history, and then finishing on top? Obviously, he lost the last fight, but dude's 41, right? He's at the end of his career. You got to look at it as a whole. 
uh yeah top top eight for sure absolutely top eight and his skills uh all time just the way he's able to mix it up not only with his striking or well you know striking just going to the body going to the legs just phenomenal right all time one of the greatest uh band uh, featherweights of all time and and he's got a big one coming up this weekend jonathan and for all the incredibly nice things i've said about jose aldo I think he probably loses this fight, but I don't have a whole lot of conviction on it. I mean, Rob Font, uh, I think he's a slight favorite in this one. He's got incredible boxing, a great jab. I, I think for Font, don't take even a second off early in the fight. Uh, and I know that you could say, hey, the longer the fight goes, five rounds, it'll benefit Font. But you don't want to let Aldo take control early because if Aldo can dictate the fight by his pace – he's going to have more cardio. But if you can dictate the early rounds, then I think Aldo will fade in the later rounds because that's been kind of the pattern for his career. Uh, we know Aldo is virtually impossible to take down. He's got incredible takedown defense. Uh, I do think that Font can touch him up, and this could potentially be the biggest victory of his career so far. Uh, but it's tough, man. Like I don't know if I have conviction enough on this to bet on Font. Um, I can still be talked in or out of that because I, I would not surprise me if Aldo wins. So enough of me straddling the fence. What do you think happens in that main event this weekend? <laughs> yeah, um, well, you, you said excellent points. And I want to say what's up to Cap for Life, uh, saying what's up to us. Appreciate you uh, joining us, buddy. Um, but I was breaking on this fight and I was watching a couple of fonts last couple of fights. I watched him against Garbrandt. I watched him against uh, Sergio Pettis, who's fighting this weekend as well, right? To your point, man, that jab is very, very good. And he's really good at using the three, the three E's, right? Entering the pocket, executing that combination, and then exiting the pocket. He does a really good job of doing all three to make sure that he stays safe and stays out of the ways of counters. But here's the one thing that I see about those guys coming out of Boston Cartel. They have a really high guard, but what is Jose Aldo really good at? He's really, really good at targeting the body and good at hitting that calf kick. So I think that Aldo has a little bit of an easier way to go because as... Rob Font is probably going to be head hunting throughout most of the night. We're going to see Jose Aldo mixing it up, not only going to the head, but as we've seen him, he's devastating to that liver, going to the body shots, yeah. going to those low kicks as well. Uh, I see your point. I do think, you know, Font has an excellent jab, but outside of that jab, it's tough to see what really major characteristics that he holds outside of everybody else. I think he's overaccomplished a little bit. And of course I can be proven wrong this weekend and he can come out with a big win over Jose Aldo. But personally, when I was watching a couple of fights trying to handicap this main event, I think the diversity of striking of Jose Aldo is really going to come to effect there. I think he's going to break him down because of that high Boston cartel guard. I think those body mm. shots and those low kicks are going to be the, uh, the recipe for success. And, and, you know, I, I can already so, – sorry to cut you off, James, but I, I can already tell you guys what's going to happen. I know the combination of Jonathan Romlikon, and I haven't spoken to Lee Sterling, my betting guru, about this fight yet, but I can already tell you he's going to talk me into betting Aldo because Lee Sterling, he loves the slight underdogs, right? Because it's nice. Like, hey, this guy could win, and, you know, you make better than even money when they win. So I know that bet between what Jonathan just said and Lee Sterling tomorrow, I'm probably going to be talked into betting Jose Aldo. Hey, 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 Jonathan, uh, Aldo said something that, that scares me a little bit this week. He said, I'm going to hang around until I get the belt around my waist, basically. At this stage of his career, you know, that those kind of comments you see that from fighters always scares me a little bit. I just want to get your thoughts on whether Aldo would end up being one of those guys that hang around too long, because we're starting to see that with the Frankie Eggers of the world and some other fighters recently. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, 
it is coming to that, you know, it's, it's creeping up to where we've seen him a little bit too long, especially when we saw him reverse Peter Jan, the way he got devastated by him. It was probably everybody's mind thinking, hey, this is the end of the line for this guy. But he had a pretty good showing in his last couple of fights as well. I, I feel like he's adjusting to that 135 weight cut. He's really filling into that size. Um, I don't think he's going to be here for, you know, too long because, first of all, I think he's going to win this weekend. And once he wins this weekend, he's going to continue to cement himself in that top five. And let's say somebody gets it done against Peter Yan, right? I mean, he Aldo has a chance against anybody else, in my opinion, against rather than Peter Yan. I think if anybody yeah. else is up there, TJ Dillashaw, you know, uh, you know, uh, what's who's current champion? Aljo, right? Aljo, Aljo has yeah. good wrestling, but like like Dono said, the counter uh, the counter wrestling of Aldo is really really good. If he has a matchup against Aljamain Sterling, I think that's a winnable fight, and we could see that happen, right? And that could be something that could line up. We never know how it'll really all line up, but I don't think it's to the point where we'll see him hang around too long. I think if he loses two or three in a row and he slips out of the top eight, I think he'll be like, all right, this is enough for me. I know my point is here. I'm not going to win the championship. And like we saw with Felicia Spencer today, just understanding her sp her spot in the sport and that she's not going to be able to win a title. I think Aldo will know when to hang it up when he wins, when he loses a couple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Jonathan, he hasn't slowed down and he's not any less tough. I mean, I think what's just really amazing about this sport, and let me know if you agree with me, but it's, it's like you see a great football player and you see that football player start to decline and the game changes for said football player because that player got older and slower and can't keep up. But in this sport, it's changing so fast. Athletes are being drawn to it in larger and larger numbers that the game is changing during the course of your very career. And so, you know, although in my opinion looks, I mean, maybe I'm being a little bit exaggerative, but I think he looks damn near as good as he looked several years ago. It's just that everyone is getting, so good at this sport now yeah. that the great Aldo would not reign probably today, um, you know, the way he did when he uh, when he first burst on the scene. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's like MMA as a whole is evolving, right? The guys today, you can take somebody in the top outside of the top 15 today and they would probably be a, be a champion in the early 2000s just because right. of the way they're able to mix it up and use all of the mixed martial arts together. I think that's something that, you know, when Aldo was starting off, they didn't have quite as much of, right? You were rather just a striker or you were just a grappler and you kind of had to work against one or the other. Now, here's the thing about Aldo. He's still not super old yet. He just turned yeah. 35 this year. A lot of right? mileage, though. A lot of mileage. That's yeah. the thing. He's been yeah. in the game for such a long time. That's the only problem you want to say. But, I mean, he's recovered really well after that Peter Yan fight. If we see him take a bad performance tonight, I can see, you know, him kind of moving back, you know, probably not moving forward to that title shot. Maybe see him take one more fight, call it a career, you know, a Dominic Cruz or Cody Gar, uh, you know, not Cody Garbrandt. Maybe he steps back up to 135. Uh, Dominic Cruz or, or a TJ Dillashaw fight. That would be a fun one, right? Just to call it a career for him. But still, I'm 35 years old, although he has a lot of mileage. I think he still has a little bit of juice left in him. I still think oh, yeah. uh, he's been continuing to develop as as these other guys has continued to develop as well. And I think he can still hold his own with any one of these top three in this division. So uh, let's move up to the lightweight division because we got a title fight coming up there pretty soon. Uh, Dana White has all but confirmed now that Justin Gaethje 
is going to be the guy to get the next title shot. Now, I, I don't think you can full-on guarantee that because if if it is like a really close or controversial fight, you can't rule out a rematch depending right. on how how it goes between Oliver and Poirier. But D- Dana has indicated Justin Gaethje is, in fact, next in line. I know that Coach Khabib will not be too happy to hear that because he's been pounding the drum of a guy who I think is a future champion in Islam Mahachev, who's got a big one against Benil Dariush. So do you think this is the right call? Because obviously Gaethje... Very exciting fighter. He's one of my favorites to watch. High action. He did have a title fight about a year ago. Uh, he lost to Khabib before he hung it up. So do you agree that going with Gaethje next is the right call, or should it be the Mahachev Dariush winner? No, I agree with the Gaethje call, right? I think if you just look at this completely objectively, Gaethje beat the guy that just lost to the title, right? He just beat the previous title challenger. And the only guy he lost to before that, beat everybody he fought so you can't really mark that as a loss on his record as you much you would for anybody else so Gaethje is still the top lightweight or if not one of the top lightweights in the division um and for him to be put in the position to fight for the title next I think is right for Mahashev he stepped up and he fought a Dan Hooker that was coming on in a couple weeks notice and don't get me wrong Dan Hooker is a very very dangerous guy right but you're taking somebody who's fighting on short notice who's not the elite of the elite of the lightweight division, right? Not super elite in the lightweight division, but you beat a guy who's really up there, right? He gave Poirier a run for her money. You know, he's he's almost there. So you beat that guy. You still have to do a little bit more. So beating a Dariush, who just beat a Ferguson, is really going to help establish him a little bit more. I think looking at this completely objectively, you have to give it to Gaethje first. Uh, I love the hype train of uh, Islam Mahashev. Like you said, future champion probably soon. He's probably going to take it off of... Uh, Dustin or Gaethje, whoever wins, or, you know, Chandler, I guess, if, or, or not Chandler, Oliveira, if he wins the fight, too. I, I personally think uh, Dustin's going to win, but I have a lot of bias towards him, so I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's only a matter of time anyways, because let's say Islam doesn't get past uh, Dariush. Then he wasn't really the real deal, right? But if he gets past him, all right, he's cemented himself. He's earned the shot. Now he can get it. If he's really legit, he'll go win that title and reign for a long time like Khabib did. Do yeah, I don't think they. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was oh, just going to say I don't think they have to rush Islam either because I think it's a foregone conclusion now that when he gets it, he's not letting go over for a long time. So he might yeah. as well make some money with these other guys. Oh, uh, man. go ahead, Alex. Sorry. Well, no, I just I I and I wanted to ask uh, Jonathan for for that, uh, and I, I think you you indicated it here that you think uh, Poirier is going to win. But how do you how do you see the fight playing out between Poirier and Oliveira? Do you think it's it's kind of a routine night at the office for Dustin? Because you know I, I will note that Poirier. I don't want to sound like a hater because I'm a big fan of his, but he does have a reputation over the years for going on a great streak, and then when you get to a really huge fight, I know he's beaten Conor McGregor a couple times now, but, I mean, listen, McGregor, he's like Rocky at the beginning of Rocky Three, no focus, all that Hollywood stuff. But so Poirier does have, have a reputation of looking unbeatable. Then he gets to, like, a title eliminator, like a really big fight, and he finds a way to choke. Like, I remember the narrative after he lost to Korean Zombie, Cub Swanson, when he lost to McGregor the first time, lost to Michael Johnson, you know, ha- has this reputation of getting to these big spots and then choking in the big fights. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I, I think he's kind of gotten a little bit past that, right? I feel like, you know, against Max Holloway, he had an absolutely phenomenal showing against one of the best strikers uh, in the UFC, regardless of weight class. So I think that was one fight that really just showed his heart, as well as I think in the Khabib fight, I mean, out of anybody I've ever seen fight Khabib, 
this was the one time I thought he was actually going to lose because he had him in that. Uh, I oh, believe it was a guillotine or a rear naked. Yeah, it's a but it was very yeah. tight. It was very tight, no. and I I can remember I can remember vividly hopping off my chair thinking that it was like it was in there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. the way that he got out of that, I, I think that uh, I think he's have he's had that gone past him, right? We've seen you know even with like LeBron, right? In 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 the NBA, he's had his time up to even 2011 where he wasn't really performing in the finals, and then past that, man, he's just been absolutely phenomenal. I think that we've seen the growth of Dustin Poirier to the point where. These fights are just going to be the next one up, right? He he wants to win this undisputed title. I mean, he's talked about it before, how this is kind of the main main goal of his career is to win this title. You know, the money is great too, but he wants his title. And I think with the skill set that he has and with somebody a, across from him like uh, like Oliveira, I, I think it's a, a solid matchup for him to get it done. Jonathan, uh, switching gears a little bit, the, the three of us, Alex, you and I, uh, had the fortune of watching the hottest free agent right now fight twice in the past year in Kayla Harrison. Uh, just what's your thoughts about her, her free agency, where she lands, where she should go, where she will go? Um, you know, a lot of factors there heading into 2022. Uh, where, where do you think you'll see Kayla Harrison next year? Where do I think I'll, we'll see her? Um, honestly, my... I, if I had to put a, a perspective on it, I'd probably say 50% PFL, uh, 35% Bellator, 50% UFC, right? That's kind of where I'm thinking right now if you had to hedge your bets, just because she can go to the PFL and just win another million dollars and continue to sharpen her skills a little bit more, right? I mean, it would be very easy for her to do that. Don't get me wrong. There's some new you know, competition coming in. I know they brought in Julia Budd. They have some other women coming in that that division but no one's really even close yeah, she to wrecks all of she wrecks everybody yeah. in that it's not even close no so she can easily go get her get another million kind of continue to work her skills back up i think the best move for her would be to probably go to bellator because they have a couple of solid fighters you can make the match up with chris cyborg and that's a that's a big money fight for bellator as well yeah. i think that's probably the best option for her because she can go there continue to improve her skills against real competition not just crushing cans right i think um having that matchup against me like like i said a cyborg or somebody else over there would be good and if she's able to pass that step then you bring her over to the ufc and she's a legitimate star even before stepping into the octagon jonathan your your this this part of your interview is going to be an exhibit in the ufc's uh defense of the lawsuit that they're uh you know antitrust that they have to be split up mm. literally you just described a young fighter who should probably stay with PFL or maybe go to Bellator. It's amazing, right? I mean, it's an amazing change of the landscape. I'm actually being a little bit serious, but I, you know, a couple of years ago, I don't imagine that would have been the comment and uh, things are changing very rapidly. You know, and, and to pick up on what Jonathan's saying, I think that in the short term, I think the smartest career move for Kayla Harrison would be to get into Bellator and immediately fight Chris Cyborg, right? I mean, obviously, the the two biggest fights in the world she could possibly get would either be against Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. And to me, just the spectacle that would surround a fight with Cyborg would almost be as big as fighting Nunes, but it's a lot more winnable of a fight. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Chris Cyborg's, but... You know, and obviously we saw the head-to-head matchup between Cyborg and Nunez. It's just, you know, Cyborg is probably, you know, the second or third best, depending on where you put Kayla, you know, one of the top three best female fighters on the planet. I mean, she is a wrecking machine, but just not in the way that Nunez is. Because I would definitely, I would favor Kayla Harrison in a fight against Cyborg, would not favor her in a fight against Nunez. So to me, 
it would make sense to go to Bellator and fight Cyborg first because Kayla probably wins that fight, and that makes her only a bigger star before she someday fights Amanda Nunes. And then once you have that, I mean, that's the that's what UFC wants, right? You want to make these big matchups. The problem with Amanda Nunez coming in is that her fights don't draw because everybody knows she's going to win, right? Everybody yeah, knows, yeah. like, there's really not much competition there. You can throw her against Shevchenko again, and I think that's the only interesting matchup. But if Kayla Harrison is able to get past Chris Cyborg and be like, hey, you know, you beat her a little bit closer to her prime, but she's still winning championships over here in Bellator, and I took her out here. You have, a, like you said, a legitimate star in her that can come into the UFC, and let's say she shocks the world, right? I mean, we Holly Holm shocked the world when she beat Ronda Rousey. You just It just takes one fight, right? There, many different outcomes can happen in a fight. One thing just has to go right for Kayla Harrison, and she could be the next biggest star coming out of the women's division. So it's a very interesting matchup. I think it's just positive overall that we have another woman stepping into that spotlight, right? I know we've all talked about Cyborg, and then Amanda Nunez and Shevchenko. And then outside of that, it hasn't been really anybody else. Now, with mm-hmm. Kayla Harrison coming up, and although Clarissa Shields, you know, lost, she still is somebody in the back burner. Don't know if she's going to yeah. become somebody let, but there's still, you know, the opportunity of at least using that name to make her a draw. I think it's just overall positive for women's MMA. So I want to throw something at you. We were talking about this early in the episode. Now, you, you probably appreciate this because I know you're a pro wrestling fan as well. Uh, you know, we all kind of suspected what Colby Covington said to Kamaru Usman when he was whispering in his ear after their fight uh, about three, three and a half weeks ago. And, you know, courtesy of a, a video that UFC Europe tweeted out, we now know exactly what he said before Dan Mergliata broke out the love fest. Uh, Colby said, you know, I'm just trying to sell it for you. Um, it's all love, he said. And then he continued, I've always had love for you. I'm just trying to make you money, he said. Now, I just I, I accept the fact that this has been part of combat sports for well over a century, like probably forever. Like the Roman gladiators were probably manufacturing crap talk to each other, you know, thousands of years ago. So it's like I, I know that some fans would say they prefer everyone to be authentic and respectful. Um, I actually, even if I know that somebody like Colby Covington is probably laying it on a little bit too thick to ham it up and make more money. I'm okay with it because to me, if you're going to be entertaining, I think that's all that really matters here. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And what did they do? They only they sold 100,000 less than Canelo, which is very, yeah. very impressive, right? <laughs> boxing yeah. and MMA. Boxing has been established for over hundreds of years. MMA is still in its youth, teenager, adolescence age right now, right? So for it to only be 100,000 less, that's to your point. It's the marketing side of it. I think these guys kind of have to. So you're saying, you know, <laughs> hey man, he's more consistent than the Miami Heat Dol- and the Miami Dolphins combined right oh, now. So, yeah. <laughs> Frank, yeah. the most consistent guy here in South Florida. But <laughs> going back to it, I, I just feel like overall, they have to sell the fight. And I, as, like you said, as a professional wrestling fan, I love it, right? Because it's okay for these guys to have mutual respect, but for them to sell the fight, let them go at it. Let them just do whatever they want to do. And I let them embrace a character, right? Here's what I don't want. I don't want these guys changing every single fight, who these guys are acting like yeah. a different character every single day. I think just like what Colby did, Hey, embrace that attitude, right? Become the heel, come out to the Kurt angle. You suck. Get the crowd reaction. You're going to sell <laughs> the fight being hated. So pick one, be hated, be loved for something, stick to that character and then work into a way of selling that fight. 
Hey, could I could I jump in on that too? Did you guys read a week or so ago? Um, Kamaru Usman shared a, a self deprecating story about running into Colby at the airport some time ago. No, did you guys catch that? I did. He ran into him at the airport and decided like this guy's talking trash about me. I don't like him, so I'm gonna go start beef. And he went up and kind of went and got real mean faced him. And Colby turned around and smiled, like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And Kamaru <laughs> said, "Kamaru said I instantly felt like an idiot." You know, he's like, this is a nice guy. And I think that um, I think that Colby post fight felt like he had to let him know, like, hey, yeah. maybe you don't get this. You know what I mean? But we don't really know each other. But we just sold the shit out of this fight. You yeah. know, we, we know we want to win. But, you know, some of the stuff I say, you know, might have put a few extra shekels in your pocket. But I thought that was a funny story. And I had kudos to Kamaru Usman for being self-deprecating like that, because I thought it was a very revealing and interesting story. Uh, that is actually really funny that he kind of he kind of yeah. disarmed him with kindness, like yeah, unexpected said, kindness. He goes, I'm sitting there because I don't even know what to do. Now I like him. I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> oh my god! And and by the way, we see our guy uh, Alex M. Welcome into the chat. Let me throw some shout outs in the chat. Alex M. is in. Estefan has been sending us a ton of messages. We I, I think uh, honestly I feel like I feel like the the match you describe here that's like so 2013. Like uh, they're, they're both a little long in the tooth now. Ariani and Brittany. Uh, Cap for life. Welcome in. Thank you so much for the kind words. Miami Trev, too. Thank you so much. Uh, but, you know, a Alex M, he, he's and he's he's sent us this message before. And <laughs> I, I agree. I would actually I would watch this season of tough. I'm very selective nowadays with what seasons of tough I watch. I would I would, watch, I would watch that. Yeah, I would watch that. And I and, and I didn't think prior to the suggestion of this that you could even pay me to watch tough anymore. But this I would watch. Yeah, I mean and 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 this fight, you know, and, and there there are multiple fights I think you could make with either of these gentlemen at this point. But yeah, I, Colby versus Masvidal, uh I I would love that cuz that that one Jonathan, I don't think you would have to manufacture a whole lot of bad blood. I think these guys legitimately have it. They used to be inseparable roommates, best buddies. They had a falling out. I think the beef here would be legit. Yeah, I mean, when you're friends with somebody and then you're not friends with somebody, it's a little bit more, there's a little more to it than uh, just not liking somebody in the first place because it's a lot more personal there. So now you know when you're watching this show, hey, there's going to be some personal digs here and there. There's going to be some clips coming out of these shows that we're going to want to make sure we see before we get, you know, before it gets out on Twitter or whatever. But like you said, man, this is going to be real heat. Uh, Masvidal is one of like the, like, you know, BMF, right? One of the realest guys out there. He's like the, you could put him in that Nate Diaz kind of category, right? Yeah. Where he just built, came from the streets, right? Fought his way up, and now he's fighting in the UFC, which is really crazy to think about. But um, and then you have Colby Covington, right? The the preppy kind of guy who's who's putting on the character, doing everything he wants to do there, and it would be a perfect dynamic. I mean, Colby knows how to talk trash. Masvidal knows how to do it more organically. I think it would be a great dynamic, and it would be a lot of fun and bring a lot of interest back to. Ultimate fighter, but but could but could George restrain himself? Because you know you you wanna you wanna put on a show on this tough episode, but George is just so authentic that mm -hmm. he just he's just gonna swing, and then you know what happens then? You know, yeah, remember what he Police did to Leon Edwards, yeah. <laughs> or if you, I don't know if you guys heard the story that Chael Sonnen actually told about him uh, in the restaurant where he had a chain on, and somebody came and grabbed his chain, so he knocked that guy out. And then his friend came up to him and was like, hey, so he knocked that guy out. 
Now, trying to avoid the situation, he goes to the restroom. A random guy follows him into the restroom just to go use the bathroom. He thinks that guy is actually coming after him. He knocks that guy out, too. So, like you said, he's one of the realest guys out there. He doesn't play. He doesn't play. And and to the Leon point as well, right, that fight should have happened. That would have been an awesome fight. Um, But he he doesn't. Hey, if hands got to get thrown, hands got to get thrown. That's the way that Masvidal goes. Yeah, no, I, I and you know I I remember because uh, somebody it was either one of you guys or somebody in the chat you know brought up uh, I guess it was you when you talked about the BMF Jonathan that w- one of the most uh, uncomfortable positions I've ever been in was the lead up and the fight itself between George Masvidal and Nate Diaz because listen I may be a three oh fiver I appreciate Miami I'm a big Masvidal fan. But my real loyalties, they lie with the 209. I can never root against the Diaz brothers. If the Diaz brothers, for whatever reason, ever fought each other, I would root for a draw. Like, I cannot root against a Diaz brother under any circumstances. And so being in this community for the buildup of that fight, and everyone's like, because they know I like MMA, and they're like, oh, bro, is Masvidal's going to knock that punk out, right? I hate that Diaz guy. I'm like, shut your fucking mouth. Nate Diaz is the greatest fighter God ever made. And I'm getting in all these debates, and then the fight itself, of course, didn't go my way so just being a member of it wasn't nate's fault his face just fell apart no exactly i mean mean, the the, the diaz brothers do not lose (laughs) they either run out of time or they suffer these unfortunate cuts so as far as i'm concerned they're both undefeated okay (laughs) so let's just get that out there but no the whole the whole build up to it like being in miami and rooting against like miami's favorite mma son was a very uncomfortable position to be for me to be in throughout that fight and i i never want to go through that again I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a really tough position to put yourself in. I mean, personally, I was on the Masvidal side, right? I mean, Udonis Haslam shouted him out. You had the rock going behind him. Um, Nate Diaz is great, but I started watching actually today to the sport just to tell a small short story. Today was the day that I actually started watching MMA every single week because of the uh, Nganu versus Overeem knockout. So today was when Uh, I uh, became committed to MMA. uh, (laughs) Absolutely. So. That was um, another one that pissed me off. I'm a huge Overeem fan. I, I, I my guys take L's left and right. I mean, it's, it comes with the sport. If you hang around long enough, you're bound to take some L's. Yeah. Like Masvidal got knocked out by Usman, and I never saw that coming at all. I thought he was going to yeah, get taken right. down. But John, hey. my favorite, my favorite show I I did with Alex was coming in after uh, his idol Fedor got knocked out with the famous crotch punch from Dan Henderson. Yeah, that, that was rough too. I mean, uh, and listen, like as, as far as far as I, I think Fedor has had a career renaissance. I mean, he he beat up uh, the elite oh, Timothy Johnson recently. Yeah. You, you could bring you could bring Fedor you could bring Fedor right into the UFC now, and I don't care. Inganu, he knocks that punk out. Surreal gone. He'll finish that punk. Don't even worry about they, it. Man. They've Fedor's got Fedor's career, they've got Fedor's career all figured out now. Tin cans in Moscow. He's got that covered. No test. Yeah, my yeah. Just so like obviously, obviously, John, Jonathan, and I are we root for different eras in the sport. I I hold on to my to my legends from years past, and and Frank Frank knows this. My too. my, you know, I know you do as well. But yeah. my my five favorite fighters, and I don't think this list will ever change, no matter who comes up and and dominates. Although there are a few Dagestani's who have gotten my attention in recent years, but my five favorites of all time, Nick D. I'll, I'll even give them to you in order. Okay. Nick Diaz, Nate Diaz, Alistair Overeem, Fedor. Um, I've got to throw a Mark Hunt into that mix as well. I love that dude like a brother. E- even All though, your like, favorite fighters have psychological disorders. 
Right? They yeah, all do. Yeah, yeah. 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 He sees ghosts. I don't know yeah. what he's Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I've been a huge fan of Mark. And Mark Hunt has one of the best yeah. stories because uh, when back when the UFC bought out Pride, when they bought them in 2007, and they started like they started bringing over like the the best Pride guys. Like they, you know, they, they really. Except they couldn't get Fedor over because of all his contract demands and stuff. But you know, they they brought over the Crow Cops immediately. They brought over Vanderlei. They brought over uh, Shogun, Dan Henderson. They brought over like a lot of the top guys. Uh, the UFC tried to pay Mark Hunt not to fight because who like what at the time that the Pride purchase happened, Mark Hunt was just some fat guy who would lose to the top. Pride heavyweights, right? They had no respect for him. So they're like, oh, hold on. We don't want to actually promote this guy. We want to just buy him out of his contract. But Mark Hunt refused. He said, no, no, you own my contract. I want to fight. I'm not going to let you buy me out. And then, you know, you know, five years, six years later, he was one of Dana White's favorites. Like you won Dana White over. So I think, I think Mark Hunt's story is one of the absolute best out there. Who are your favorite fighters, James? Favorite fighters, man. All time. All time. All time. Wow. Just got to give us three. Yeah. Boxing is easy. Boxing is Hagler. Um, MMA. Oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a GSP. I was a GSP guy. But then now I see Kamaru Usman. I'm like, man, I, I can see how that, that uh, welterweight division has really evolved. Um, man, I like I like Khabib, man. I, I just like, uh, like the dominance of it. I like the aura of him. You know, just nobody's figured him out. Now, if he would have hung around for three, four more years, somebody probably would have figured him out. But I, I like that he got out at the right time. Uh, so, yeah, I'd say probably GSP and, and, and Khabib at this point. What about you, Jonathan? Adesanya is number one. Holloway is number two. Uh, well, you're all – you're new age guy, man. You're yeah, the new – Yeah, Masvidal is number three. If you had to go old school um, – I was – honestly, I was a big fan of uh, Mark Coleman, right, just – Take wow. you down, ground like pound, right? Yeah. Wow, you My go from one extreme to the other, bro. Yeah, he's, he's going from like he's going from like 2021 to like 1995. Yeah. <laughs> Tank Abbott. Tank Abbott's one of my favorite all-time Ooh. fighters, dude. Tank was like when I was watching those old UFCs, this guy didn't want to grapple, he didn't want to do it, he just wanted to go there and punch your face in. So he was really fun to watch. Um I mean, obviously, you know, Anderson Silva, I didn't get to experience him live. So I kind of knew he was going to win all the fights yeah. he was going to get into. So it didn't really have the mystical, you know, the mystique of there. So I didn't get to experience that live. But just watching him was crazy. Chris Lieben was a really fun fighter to watch as well. He's a yeah. dude that got punched in the face a lot, a lot. And he was able to, you know, against, against, except against Anderson Silva, keep that chin and keep going uh, against L. Uh, Chris Lydell was fun to watch. Uh, Carson uh, Newton. Uh, yeah, Carson Newton. Um Carlos Newton. Oh, Carlos, Carlos Newton. Carlos Newton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carlos. He was he was the big Dragon Ball Z guy. Like he would do the Kamehameha yeah. and stuff after that. So I loved when I was watching him as well. So as far as those old school fighters, those are probably the guys I lean towards. You know, an, another another one that's like close to to like breaking the to probably in my top ten. Um, and I think I think more people like him now that he's like a media personality but i mean you you guys remember when he was fighting people hated this guy michael bisping like there was mm. there was a genuine disdain for michael bisping i mean i people were so happy when dan henderson threw that cheap shot on him after he'd already knocked cheap him out cheap shot my ass cheap shot the he, he, he clearly <laughs> he henderson knew he clearly knocked him out with the overhand right and then he landed a cheap shot on the ground because he wanted to hurt the man and the man I has a family actually, i think he was actually trying to kill him 
Yes. I think if you go back and watch the launch, I think his intent was Yeah. Dead. yeah. Michael Bisping has a family. It was very disrespectful. <laughs> but no, I, I remember the people, the way people would talk so much crap about Michael Bisping. They just hated him. I guess it was like he didn't knock a lot of people out. He talked a lot of trash. You know, I, I still think that Americans, I mean, it's been like, you know, 250 years, but people are still angry about the Revolutionary War. There's like this, and, and I think that that, uh, that awful train wreck of a play, Hamilton, has kind of stoked the flames again. People are very upset about the whole colonial. Like, I, I've let it go. 250 years later, I've let it go, okay? Alex, people forget, you know, they came back, the War of 1812. So, I mean, we got a lot of reasons to be pissed off. I mean, We uh, won that yeah, one, too. We won fair and square, and then they yeah. came back and invaded yeah. Yeah, that was that was I was very yeah, you know, the war of eight, it did kind of piss me off. Like England, learn how to take an L. Like you don't nice. need to come back. Yeah, okay. That one did bother me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and a lot of people and you know, Chuck Chuck Liddell, um, I, I don't I don't rate him as highly now as I did, but I to, like 2007 me, I was basically sleeping with Chuck Liddell bed sheets. Like I was such a huge <laughs> fan of Chuck Liddell. I you know, I think I think it, it kind of got to be a little bit exposed that he was maybe a little bit too one dimensional, but yeah, yeah, I mean, Chuck Liddell was up there. I'm as surprised well. that you would say that, Alex, as a pride guy, because I felt like watching the Chuck Liddell show in the UFC for a while. I was like, what? I mean, does anyone remember him going over to Pride and and, and getting beat up by Rampage yeah, Jackson? Yeah, absolutely. It yeah. seemed like everybody forgot, and then Rampage Jackson shows up. I'm like, I don't know. Chuck Liddell's probably going to smoke him. I said, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, a lot of people thought that, that, that yeah. Liddell, that the first one was a fluke. Liddell would take him in the rematch. But yeah, no, I mean, listen, I, I like, I, I tend to also, I like like a lot of the guys who in pride were probably on steroids. Like I was a big fan of, uh, like all Kev- of them. <laughs> well, yeah, but especially like the, the blatant ones, like, uh, like Kevin Randleman, oh, the yeah. monster. And, uh, and I, I don't think he ever fought in pride, but he fought a lot, you know, going back to Overeem when, when he was fighting in dream before he came to the UFC, um, you could tell that basically the people who promoted dream, which were some of the people who promoted pride. So it looked like the arenas looked similar, the white ring, all that, like they probably told him, here's a needle. Don't ask us what's in it. Just take it and smash, <laughs> just like inject this and smash. And they Those would the match up. Days, man. Oh, yeah. when, when, when Overeem, when he was just jacked up beyond recognition, the guy had muscles on top of muscles, and they used to purposely match him up with, like, fat, out-of-shape dudes, and he would just destroy some of the most entertaining fights ever. Like, I'm, I'm so, I was a big fan of Japanese MMA because they gave you a mix, right? They would give you some, like, really well-matched-up fights, and then they would also have like a 280 pound monster go up for reasons no one could understand against like a 170 pound Minoa man or something. And it was like, there's no rhyme or reason to this match. The weight classes didn't matter. They didn't have athletic commissions over there. Like you would see a juiced up Overeem just smash tomato cans. And I, I loved every second of it. Alex M brought up Vanderlei Silva. That one was, he was very high on my list for a long, long yeah. time. Yeah. I, th- I think that was a guy who was probably uh, a little little let down after less rampant steroid use. I, I will yes, say that because he, he was definitely. he was not he was not the same in the UFC as he was in Pride. And what did he do? He corrected the scar tissue, and it scares me now. It looks like he had like a, a whole face transplant. No, he I basically thought- did. He had his whole face recon. It was more than just scar tissue. Like I think that was oh. what that was probably what he told his insurance company, right? That oh, I'm I'm getting to pay for this because I'm getting my scar tissue. 
he his nose was completely redone. Like his whole face, he looked like yes. a different guy. Looked like no, a, yeah, it freaks me this. out now when I see him. Yeah, yeah. I gotta check that out. I, I haven't seen it. Um, um, I got a question. One question for Jonathan. One, one more for me. Um, we have one pay per view left, so I think we have a pretty good sample size for the year of two thousand twenty one. Who is your fighter of the year at this? Wow, point? good question. Ooh, put me on the spot there. Um. Who is a fighter of the year? Yeah, I, I, I know who he's going to say. Who? Oh, come on, man. He's It's out of sign you all day for him. He's just figuring out a way to, well, to make you know, it. Was, was the lose was that this That was this year. Oh, yeah, that's right. That, that was yeah. this year. My yeah, bad. This year. My bad. You're off the hook. Um, okay. I mean, <laughs> damn, dude, I am stuck. I'll, I'll tell you who it is. Yeah, I mean, Nate, we'll, you'll, you'll say Nate Diaz. Who other than Nate Diaz? Hold on, hold on. Let, let, let me let me set the table here. What if I told you one of the most it, exciting fighters of all time took a six-year layoff, hadn't seen him since 2015, <laughs> and then he had the guts – Manny, the dump button. Manny, the dump button. <laughs> Manny's not even here tonight. He's at the Panthers game. Don't worry about Manny. Six, year, six years out of the octagon might as well be a lifetime, right? I mean, there, there are a lot of fighters on the UFC roster who probably hadn't made their pro debuts before 2015. Six years away from the sport, made a damn near triumphant return against a former welterweight champion and a former strike force middleweight champion, a very, very decorated opponent with credentials resume, you know, up, up uh, into the heavens. Right. And nearly got it done. Nick Diaz is your fighter that give me another fighter who stepped into the octagon after a six year layoff. Go ahead. And look think like about it. it and look like it. Fight Come on, time. man. It's gotta be Usman, right? Yeah, I was thinking Usman. I mean, I think Islam had three fights this year, and he won all three, Yeah, right? Doug um, Rose is up there, too, I think. Doug Rose is up there. But I mean, Usman, Usman right? is, he has set himself up now. People, like, this year for him, he's transcending GSP in a lot of people's minds. Right. So that's why I just feel like, for him, it's it's his year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, legacy-wise, I mean, the, the person who's added the most to their legacy this year is absolutely Usman, right? He right. took out Masvidal, and then he took out Colby Covington in the rematch. As far as top competition goes, he's there. Um, and, and Gilbert, Gilbert Burns. Burns as well. Gilbert Burns early in the year as well. That was this year, right? Gilbert Burns? Yeah, that was oh. definitely this year. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so yeah. it was three yeah. then, three fights this yeah. year that he won. Yeah. And, and for me, like, and not just because I love Kobe, but I feel like Kamaru Usman beating Kobe a second time, like Kobe is a a more dangerous opponent in your division than I can think of any of the other fighters having, you know, in terms of I mean, I feel like Kobe beats almost anybody in that division, and and it and it's almost somewhat one-sided. And Usman has taken care of him twice. So yeah, exactly. Incredible. Yeah. So I mean, three, three championship defenses. Um, Burns, Amos Vidal, and, and Colby Covington. That's three of the cream of the crop in that 170 pound division. I don't think anybody has more wins at that high level than him. I, I think I think Usman is the right answer there. I want to uh, I want to change gears and, and give you guys uh, what I find to be an interesting story before we wrap it up. I know there's at least one other one in here because uh, I know Frank Z is all about this. I don't know, Jonathan and James, are you fans of Game of Thrones? Or were you fans again until they ruined the final season, of course? Oh, final episode. I they haven't, I wasn't it. able to watch it yet. No. Ooh, James? I, I haven't watched a single episode. Oh, yet. my God. Lame. I, I, don't, I, I don't watch much TV outside of sports, man, to be honest with you. 
I got two Which, toddlers. At watch home, anime. Yes. Uh, watch Attack on Titan. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, I, I know Frank will appreciate this. So, um, you know, we we all remember Gunnar Nelson, even though it's been a couple of years since he fought. Uh, and part of the reason why he's been out for so long is, I think it was last May, Gunnar Nelson had a grappling exhibition, Frank, with the mountain from yes. Game of Thrones, the uh, actor. Yes. Uh, yes. Hold on. His, his name is written here somewhere. Uh, hold on. Uh, Julius Bjornsson is the actor who's 352 Holy shit, pounds. is he big and He's three, 352 pounds. Uh, he's, of you know, athlete, though. Yeah. Like, of agile yeah. athlete. Yeah. And he's he's, he's one of those, like, strong men. Like, you, you've seen him on, like, ESPN2 at 3 a.m. just lifting up monster truck tires and, like, lifting monster trucks and cars. Like, one of the strongest people ever. He had the recurring role as the mountain in Game of Thrones. And he and Gunnar Nelson had a, a grab they're both Icelandic they had a grappling exhibition and uh and Gunnar Nelson admitted that at one point like he was going for an arm bar from the bottom and then he heard something pop in his ribs and that's one and he had had a previous rib injury and I think it was even the other side of his ribs that got injured against the mountain and so he hasn't been right since he's hoping Nelson to make his UFC return uh, in March. Like he wants to, he's a European guy. He wants to fight in London in March when the UFC goes back to the UK. So part of the reason why he's been out for as long as he has is he suffered a grappling exhibition. And I mean, Frank, we, we, we saw what the mountain did to Oberyn Martell's head. He smushed yeah. it like a, like a grape. So this part of the reason, surprising. But basically what you said is part of the reason Gunnar Nelson's been out for so long is he's a moron because who <laughs> in the right mind would grapple with the mountain? Right, I mean, right. I mean, did you ever see the video of uh, Conor McGregor sparring with the mountain? Yes. Yeah. I saw I mean, the pictures. It, it was terrifying to watch mm -hmm. because you realized that as fearsome a fighter and striker as Conor can be, in a real situation, life and death situation, there's nothing he could do to stop this man from smashing his head. By the way, have any of you guys watched Squid Game that Alex M. referenced? I unfortunately suffered through the, it was psychologically terrorizing. But once I got into it, I couldn't stop watching. The thing is, Amazing. like, is being in debt really that bad that you would go through, you know, where like somebody's going to shoot you in the head with a sniper rifle well, if you don't come debt? over when they say Red Rover? Like, is being in debt really that bad? It wasn't debt. They were trying to get generational wealth for their families, right? I mean, it wasn't just that they were impoverished. It was like See, yeah. so much money that I think they're – yeah, go ahead. I was thinking – I think most of them were in debt, though, because they needed that money. That's why they played that game yeah. to go back in the first place. Like, And if – honestly, if you – if think about it this way. If you're going there and you survive the first round and – you've seen people get killed. I don't care how much generational wealth is on the line. If everybody else is going to die except one person, I'm not going to take right. those odds, <laughs> you know? Yep. Well, yeah, and, and didn't, like, in, in the first episode, like, they all they all decided to leave, and then they all came back, exactly. like, an episode. Like, well, just leave, just stay out of there. Just, you know, just uh, declare chapter 11, like, whatever you have to do. I don't know if the laws are different in Korea, but just don't, don't go back there. No, and then, and then the people are just walking around with guns, just shooting you dead because you couldn't get a cookie to crack correctly. I mean, it was just, just terrifying. Mr. If I ruined Beast it for anyone watching or listening, I'm sorry. And you know, Go I, ahead, I, I got, I got a... 
Oh, sorry, Frank. Alex M. School, Alex M. School loans are worse. Well, than let, let, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. And I'm not. I'm not passing any judgment one way or the other. But I, I hear like I hear some. Uh, and I'm I'm not political really. But I hear like some politicians, uh, none of which I think have ever been elected to this point. But some politicians will will say. I'm going to cancel student debt. And that's like people get very riled up by that. So my question is this. The people like me who have already paid it off, do we get reimbursed? Like, because no. oh, it's like, because I'd be a little bit like, frankly, I'm petty. OK, <laughs> so if if there are people now who are in student debt and like, you know, politician X gets elected and they cancel student debt, I got to tell you, I'd be kind of pissed. That they're canceling it for people who have the debt, Alex, this and is not for the come people over who paid to it the off. dark side. It's moments like this that bring you <laughs> over to the dark side. No, but like on, honestly, like uh, that that would really pit, and it, it's very petty. I get it because there are like you know there are not like petty. twenty year olds that are in debt right now, student loans. But I feel like the people who had them and already paid them off should be paid hey, back as and well. Hey, and I don't want to go wax on about this, but you know who the real criminals are? The universities, the universities are raising yeah. tuition yes. every year. And they're doing yeah. it because the government insists on subsidizing this thing with loans right. for these students. Right. It's a terrible situation. I wish the government would get out of it and make universities start rethinking what a reasonable tuition is. I mean, it's gotten right. to the point. I've sent a couple kids to college. It's gotten to the point. There is what career are you going to get that justifies the kind of mountainous debt that is yeah. going to befall these kids? It's terrifying. Terrifying. Yeah, I, I, interest rates are nuts on it. The interest yeah, rates, yeah. and you can't claim bankruptcy on student loans either. Like bankruptcy, you uh, can die and it'll get passed on to your kids. Like, oh my God, that's terrible. Also, oh, if my, yeah, wow, it's that's all. I, I should yeah. rack up a bunch of debt to leave with my kid. Uh, just to, <laughs> that'll be my gift from being whoever thought that system up needs to fight the mountain in the yeah. octagon to the death. <laughs> Get your real. All right. So we'll, we'll, on that, on that apolitical, political note, <laughs> we will, we will wrap it up. I want to thank, uh, Jonathan Ramlakan for hopping in. You see right there where you find him on Twitter at three piece combo. Where else can people find your work, sir? Yeah, um, it's going to be on five reasons com. Of course, uh, any articles I throw up will be up there. Um, a lot of my MMA kind of, videos and all that stuff are going to be on my instagram it's 3pc just typed out in the mma so 3pc mma it's six characters pretty easy to find but yeah outside of that i appreciate you guys having me on i enjoy talking fights i don't get to talk with fights with most people because they don't watch this stuff so <laughs> always talking with you guys is a great pleasure and i appreciate you guys having me on Oh, we thank you so much for hopping in and yeah huge thanks to frank zaffrey who he hides it but follow him on twitter at real frank underscore z have you logged in in recent weeks frank no, I haven't, but go ahead and I'll check that follower request and see if I got one. There you go. And of course, James Walker, who you could follow at James Walker NFL. Follow me at Alex Donna. Huge thing. You're, you're welcome. And thank you, Alex M. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we love it. So to Alex M, Estefan, um, Cap for Life. Cap for Life. I know I was looking for it. Everyone who's been very active in the chat tonight, Miami Trev, too, as well. Thank you guys so much. If you missed any part of this episode, you can check out the replay on YouTube, which will be available immediately when I sign off. And within the next 24 hours, you can check out our podcast and subscribe to it. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you get your pods. Just search five rounds and you're going to see the uh, the orange fist logo and you're going to know you came to the right place. So subscribe to our audio podcast. Great to listen in the car that way. That's usually what I do. I listen to shows while I'm driving around. So we will talk to you guys again next week on another episode of five rounds on the five reasons sports network.